0: Uh, the title of my message, I want to jump right in. I am excited for this word because I'm hoping it's not just going to motivate you, but I'm hoping it's going to activate you and equip you in a new way. The title of my message is simple. Uh, it's This Is How We Do It. Um, in, in my best 90s Montel Jordan, this is how we do it. Anyway. All right. I'm awake. I'm alive. It's This Is How We Do It. We started the new series last week called Pray Like Jesus. And it's surrounding a question that the disciples asked Jesus. They've been following him and they come to him and they say, teach us how to pray Jesus. They asked him how to pray. They realized that if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to learn to pray like Jesus. And so last week we launched into this topic about prayer and looking at the teaching of Jesus surrounding it and we found out to begin with, Jesus kind of laid the groundwork of what prayer actually is. He gave us kind of the big theological, philosophical framework for us to understand prayer. And we found out that prayer in its essence, as Jesus puts it, is the mechanism of relationship. That prayer is about relationship with God. We, we looked at one quote from Philip Yancey that said that prayer is keeping company with God. That we're responding to God's invitation to be with Him. What an amazing thought that God actually wants to know you and be with you. And that fundamentally is what prayer is. And next week we're gonna look at what prayer does, what happens when we pray. And that's gonna be powerful and exciting, and I hope you come back for that. But today I wanna to look specifically at, at how to pray. Jesus isn't just a teacher that waxes eloquent and gives us lofty ideas and big philosophical, theological, and existential and metaphysical ideas for us to wrap our heads around, but doesn't give us any application. But he actually, we're going to see, brings us right down to the ground and where the rubber meets the road and shows us how we pray, how we do it. We're going to look at the craft of prayer and be super practical. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at one simple teaching of Jesus on prayer, probably his most comprehensive teaching on prayer. But I want, before we get there, you just go ahead and turn to Matthew 6, all of our locations. But before we get there, I want to start with a thought. And the thought is this, that the primary problem for us when it comes to prayer is not found within our intentions. That the problems we run into, and we've, we discovered last week, we just were honest about it, that prayer is a struggle. We need to know something when it comes to prayer, that the the main problem with our prayer has little to do with our intentions and everything to do with implementation, that we actually, the struggle is found in how we go about prayer. And we're going to look today at how to pray. We got to realize before we begin, though, that there are often miles between our intentions and our actualization, isn't there? Anybody honest in church this morning? There there, There are goals... Hashtag goals and there are hashtag fails. And for every goal, there are a hundred fails. You can spend your whole afternoon just punch in hashtag fail and have a hilariously fun time. We know that there's a miles, there's gaps, there's worlds between our intentions and our actual experience. Maybe this year, like at New Year, you, you got a gym membership and you intended to get in shape. And now here we are in August and you're up 10 pounds right? There's, it's barbecue season, no judgment. Or, or maybe you, you're like, you know what, this year we're going we're gonna to tackle our finances, we're going to get out of debt, I'm going to cut up my visas. I, I, I read Dave Ramsey and no more visa and no more debt and no more credit and, and then you just leased a boat. So anyway, maybe, maybe you, you had a goal at the start of the year, you're like, I'm going to read a book a week, and then it turned into a book a month. And now, actually, here we are, end of summer, and you've read one book all year, Facebook. <laughs> right. The difference, there's a gap between our expectations and our, even our intentions. We can have great intentions, and, but in actuality, fall far, far short of accomplishing them. We all know the adage that the road to ruin is paved with good. Yeah, good intentions. So there's an idea I want to set before us today. And and the idea, I'm pulling it from a guy. I I read a book uh, this past summer on my time off called Atomic Habits by a guy named James Clear. And James says, his whole premise is this, that we don't actually rise to the level of our goals, but we fall to the level of our systems. In other words, it's the strategy, it's the system, it's the framework that we implement that accomplishes our goals. You right now, your life is perfectly built to be getting the results you're getting. And the same goes for our health, it goes for our fitness, it goes for our relationships, it goes for our business dealings, and it goes for prayer. That we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. And how many of you have had great intentions. You'll come to church and you'll hear about the power of prayer. And you'll get excited about it. You'll hear someone preach about that that prayer taps us into God's limitless power. And I I believe today that we have only scratched the surface of this experience, this life with God. I I truly believe it. I was thinking about it this week. My life is kind of like how I use my iPhone. That, that my iPhone can do exponentially more than I use it for. I use it for very few things, and it's a similar, a similar concept as it pertains to us following Jesus. I believe that God wants to and can do much more through us and in us and in this region than we even think possible. If We can have great intentions about seeing that happen, and we do, but until we get a great idea about how to implement it, we are going to fall short. It's important that we focus on the plans And the patterns. We know about the potential of prayer. We know that we should pray. We dream even about what would happen if we prayed. But unless we learn to pray, unless we learn how to pray, unless we learn how to utilize the tools that that Jesus wants to give us, we are going to be limited based on our system, on our approach. And so Jesus knew that, and good news today, he gives us a few handles on how to pray. Matthew 6, if you haven't opened it already, the disciples come to him, they ask him about prayer, he gives them kind of the philosophical, hey, prayer is a relationship, God wants to know you, step through the door, if you didn't see that message, go back and check it out. But now he kind of gets the rubber and the road to connect, and you'll see in Matthew chapter 6, look at, starting in verse 5, Jesus says, when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites. So he starts with what not to do. How many of you know, before you know what to do, you have to know what not to do? Yeah, so he starts with what not to do. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by, say it, yourself. Say it, West, yourself. Halifax, go by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again and again and again and again and again. again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask Him. So let's just pause there and let's see what Jesus is getting at. Jesus kind of identifies a fundamental problem, the thing that ultimately torpedoes our whole approach when it comes to God, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to truly connecting with God. And he circles it around this one issue. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? Well, you and I know that it's, it's, it's somebody who pretends to be something they're not. In Jesus' day, hypocrites, that was actually taken from a Greek word that meant actors, People who were in plays, they would wear a mask and they would put on a show to try to generate attention and affection or communicate their message. That's what a hypocrite was. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like a hypocrite. Don't be an attention seeker. Someone who uses a character to gain influence or affection from other people. He says, don't do that. Here's why. Real prayer requires the real you. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. You have to be you and you get to be you. Real prayer requires the real you. If you're taking notes, write this down. We're going to get real in church today. Here's the first thing you need to know about prayer. When you pray, you have to pray authentically. Pray authentically. Cut the crap. Ooh, getting spicy. Real prayer requires The real you. What does Jesus say? He says, look, don't be like the hypocrites. They wax eloquent. They say big words. They want to be heard. You might fool others, he says. You'll get your reward from other people. Maybe they'll pat you on on your back. Maybe they'll say, oh, what a good prayer. You might fool others, but you won't fool God, Jesus says. You might impress others, but you won't impress God. You can pray to God or play for others, but you can't do both. Real prayer requires the real you. Your playing might get you some reward, Jesus said, but not God's blessing. God cannot and will not bless who you pretend to be. God will not bless who we pretend to be. It's the real you he's after. It's the real you he's after. Here's why. I mean, if we go back to the concept last week, we said that prayer is relationship, isn't it? And a relationship, those of you who are married know this, a relationship is only as healthy as it is Honest. It is only as healthy as it is authentic, isn't it? You've seen marriages that fall apart. Why? Because there are things they didn't deal with in time that laid hidden for a long time. They put on a facade that were happy, and then all of a sudden it comes out and it's too late. We know that a relationship is only as healthy as it is authentic. And so Jesus says, look, before we even start, take the mask off. Take the mask off. Real prayer is not fake. It requires the real you. That means that real prayer does not project an image. There is no pretension in prayer. There is no pretending or manipulation. We don't pray to play for others. We don't do that when we pray. What do I mean? Well, sometimes sometimes people, if you've been around church long enough, those of you who are new, uh, we are so glad you're here, and we're going to catch you before you have time to get bad habits but in church, if you've been around, you, you, you can find this temptation, or maybe you've seen it in others. Judge not, but maybe you've seen this before. Where someone will, will pray, and it seems as though they're trying to be seen in a certain way. I call it preforming. Where they are, they're, they're praying, but in actuality, it seems more about how eloquent they are. Oh, gracious Lord, heavenly Father, we beseech thee this morning. We come to your holiness in awe. <laughs> Amazed. And they, they act. They're acting. And you might be convincing others that, you wow, you, you are so spiritual and you know God, but you aren't fooling him. God's like, hey, yo, talk to me, bro. Take the mask off. Your King James English does not impress me. I speak every language. I don't, I don't need one that nobody speaks. All right? So... We need to stop pretending, stop performing for other people. You can, here, here's why. You know what you're doing when you're praying to be heard? You're seeking the attention of others instead of the attention of him. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't put on a mask. You can't seek the attention of God and seek the attention of others at the same time. It's one or the other. Now, some of you are like, yeah, that's why, that's why I don't pray out loud. And that's why I don't lift my hands in worship. I don't want to draw attention to myself. You're still focused on yourself. You're every bit as bad, just the other way. Yeah. The point is, we bring our focus to God. You don't worry about the person to the left or your right, what they think. Whether that's they think you're hyper-spiritual or whether they think you're weird because you lift your hands and you sing. Look, I believe God is bringing a fresh word to this church that's going to get us over ourselves and it's going to get us over what the person next to us thinks. And we're going to see an authenticity in worship and prayer like never before. You can't pray and be fake. Real prayer requires the real you. Can I get an amen, West? Halifax, the real you. It doesn't, it doesn't project an image. It doesn't posture. This is not the time to sharpen and grind your axe. I've been in rooms where it was clear the person was taking a moment through prayer to teach and school everybody. Ever been there? I call it preaching. You're taking your moment, because Pastor Brent didn't give you the pulpit, so now we're in a prayer gathering and all of a sudden you all but stood up and said, The title of my message today is, and now you're you're throwing this in, oh, and we should do this and we should do this and this person and that. Are you talking to God or are you preaching to us? So we stop. We don't, we don't project. Look, the church should be the most honest, authentic place in the world. It's ironic. What a, what a, what a twist of the enemy that the church, you can find hypocrites, you can find people who are so pretentious, and they're pretending, and they're playing a role. We are the church. We should be the people who, if we boast, it's only in Christ. We're the people who were found blind, but now we see, and that's because of Jesus, not because of us. If we speak and we boast, it's because of the great grace of God. There should be no pretension and posturing in the church. All is level Ground at the foot of the cross. Amen? Amen. We should be real. We should be real. It doesn't project. It doesn't project an image out of manipulation. You know what else it doesn't do? It doesn't project an image out of obligation. We don't we don't pray with projecting an image out of obligation. You, You don't pray to get God off your back. God's not fooled. God's not fooled. I've done that before. Well, I guess I have to pray. Right? God God is not interested. This is a relationship. It's kinda of like in, in your marriage. Like hypothetically, if last week uh, a, a a husband was talking to his wife, and hypothetically, they discussed maybe doing something that night together. And then we, we weren't really sure, we didn't make solid plans, and so hypothetically, that, that husband went out and made plans to go play basketball with his buddies. And then hypothetically, later on, they looped back around and had a conversation, and, and the, the wife was a little bit hypothetically ticked off, because she thought that we were going to hang out. And then I was like, oh, oh, I mean, hypothetically, my friend. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll play, I'll I'll stay home. She's like, no, go to basketball. You obviously want to do that more than hang out with me, right? (laughs) Popping the hood on my whole life right now. (laughs) Yeah, but anybody who's been in, especially a romantic relationship, you realize, look, you, you can pretend all you want. She sees right through it. He sees right through it. So if you don't want to be there at some level, don't pretend like you do. You have to be honest. You have to be real when we approach God. You don't don't pray to get God off your back, and you don't pray to impress him either. Here's a lie we need to confront that your language or your ability to use big words or pray very intensely, and we'll, we'll talk about petitioning, and we'll talk about praying without ceasing, and we'll talk about the, the value in praying things through later, but you need to understand something. God's desire for you is not contingent on how, inten- how, how powerfully you pray. He's not impressed by your words. He's impressed by your heart. He's impressed by your heart. So we have to be real when we pray. We have to be real. God will not bless who you pretend to be. Real prayer recri- requires the real. Yeah, yeah. We need to pray authentically. Cut the crap. Tell the person next to you, cut the crap. Go ahead. Or cut the poop. Whatever you want to say. Maybe that's a little, little too much. Number two, if you're taking notes, let's keep going, actually. Let's read a little bit more. Let's go back. Verse 6, Matthew. Keep, keep your Bible open. Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, go away by yourself shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in, say it, private, private, in private. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us From the evil one. Now Jesus moves and he switches from what not to do, and he begins begins to give us a framework on what we are supposed to do. If you're taking notes, write this down. When you pray, it's not just about authenticity, but you actually have to pray with intentionality. Pray intentionally, have a plan. Did you notice Jesus puts forth a a time and a place and a pattern for prayer? He actually gives us a framework, a structure that can hold our prayer life. Here's something I know to be true. Not planning to pray is planning not to pray. Not planning to pray is planning not to pray. You have to schedule it. You have to plan it. You have to prepare a place and a time and think through a way to pray. And now I know what some of you are thinking. Wait, Pastor, just a second ago you were talking about you got to be authentic. And you gotta, you got to want to do this. This doesn't sound super passionate. This this scheduling it. This doesn't sound super, you know, real and authentic. Scheduling it? Yeah. you got to schedule it. There is a very big difference between doing something because I think I should and doing something because I think it's good. Huge difference. There's a big difference between obligation and commitment, isn't there? And this is about setting a commitment. It's like in marriage, you have to commit to certain things. You have to schedule certain things. You know what I'm saying? My 11-year-old's here. (laughs) I remember in the marriage series talking about that, like, hey, do it a lot and schedule it. And I remember having one guy who's not married come come to me and be like, you schedule that? I'm like, heck, yeah. He goes, that's not very romantic. That's the most romantic thing in the world. Because you know what? When you get out there and you get married, you know what happens? Kids happen, and schedules happen, and time, and all the stuff goes away. And you know what gets bumped? Not you, that. Oof. Bad choice of words. (laughs) And what we found, and we talked about this in the marriage series, is, is that activity that we're talking about, it is both reactive, out of the overflow of passion, but it's also what? It's proactive. It generates passion. It's something that we do to create intimacy, not just the byproduct of it. Prayer is the exact same thing. Prayer is not just reaction to what God is doing or reaction to your life. It's something that creates intimacy. It's it's a habit that we do. It's something that we do that actually initiates and creates those feelings of intimacy. It's, it's It's a mechanism that we can use. It is both proactive and reactive. This is what Jesus is getting at. Have a time, have a place, have a way in which you do it. The mistake most of us make when it comes to prayer is that we only pray when the mood arises, we only pray when the circumstance presents itself. Usually it's an emergency. Usually it's because we need something. And Jesus is trying to take us beyond that to become people, creatures of prayer, where we actually have a time and a place. We establish God in a certain way in our lives. That's what he's getting at. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, great book, a little dry but awesome stuff in it. Look what he says. He says, we must never wait until we feel like praying before we pray. Prayer is like any other work. We may not feel like working, but once we have been at it for a bit, we begin to feel like working. Prayer is the same way. You approach prayer and it creates more. That's what it does. It's proactive. It has the ability to create. So Jesus is saying real prayer isn't just authentic, but it's intentional. It's intentional. You actually have to have a a time. Did you notice what he said? He said, not if you pray. What did he say? He said, when you pray. This is a daily thing. This is, this is something that you do systematically, rhythmically. This is a part of your regular rhythms of your life when you pray. And then what did he say? He said, go to a place. He said, withdraw from the world and draw into God. Set a place. Have a chair. Have a corner. Just whatever you do, make sure you know, your soul knows, your mind knows that I'm going to pray. This is where I pray. This is when I pray. And then Jesus gives us a pattern. He shows us how to pray. He gives us an actual pattern. Did you notice it? The Lord's Prayer is not just an incantation. These aren't magic words. He actually gave us a pattern, a framework by which we can pray. It gives us guidelines. It's meant to be a sort of mental, spiritual map for us as we approach God. And Jesus never meant his prayer to be a limit. He meant it to be a launch pad. This was never supposed to be the lid. He never envisioned that you would just blindly pray the Lord's Prayer and not connect actual, real passion and meaning to it. So he says, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What's that? It's worship. It's adoration. We approach him. The Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Yeah, so we come to him with worship, Jesus says. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He's talking about confession. He's talking about supplication. He says, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. So he gives us this framework. And pretty well every day I pray the Lord's Prayer with my kids on the way to school. And then in my own time, at my own place, in my own, at my own speed, I'll actually go through and I'll, I'll pray my worship. And I'll confess to God what I need to confess. I'll thank him for the many things that I need to make sure, like we just sung in the song. Uh, 10,000 reasons to bless him. I'll find reasons to, to thank him. And then I'll get to my request list. See, most of us make the mistake. We come with our requests, and we don't actually engage him relationally. And so Jesus gives us a pattern. One simple handle I use sometimes is an acronym called ACTS. Anybody ever heard of this one before? I'll actually use this sometimes to help me form my prayers. I'll start out with adoration. I'll I'll just spend some time worshiping God. What this does is it sets you and centers you. It reminds you, he's God, I'm not. He is great. He sits in the heavens. The earth is his footstool. And anything I approach him today, he's above. Anything I have on my plate, he's greater than it. And then I'll step into confession. Lots of times God will reveal to me something that I need to hand over to him. I'll pray sometimes, like the prayer of David, you know, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I'll I'll just lay those things down. You know how freeing it is once you realize that God, like Jesus says, already knows all the things anyway? You know how freeing it is when you realize I can bring and lay my burdens down. I can lay my dysfunction down every single day. It's so liberating and freeing. So confession. Then I'll spend some time in thanksgiving. Again, what that does is it primes the pump of worship in you. It helps you look back at your testimony and gives you courage and confidence for today. Hey, you know what? He delivered me from the paw of the lion. He delivered me from the paw of the bear. And today he's going to deliver me from the hand of the Philistine or whatever Goliath you have in front of you. Thanksgiving generates that confidence. It generates gratitude. That's what it does. Practice it. And then you move into supplication. That's a fancy word for your requests, the things that are on your heart. This is where we cast our cares on him for he cares for us. And so you spend time. And so Jesus is saying, have a plan, have a pattern, so that when you pray, you pray, you pray through and you pray holistically that you actually have a map. And You don't have to do this. This is meant to be a guide. It's a launch pad, not a limit. Sometimes I just go through this and it doesn't take me that long. Sometimes it spins and I, never, I don't even get past this. Sometimes the Lord leads me, and I just spend extra time just getting right before Him. God can guide you through His Spirit, and the Holy Spirit actually helps us to pray. So Jesus says, have a plan, have a plan, pray intentionally. So, pray authentically, (laughs) pray authentically, pray intentionally. Number three, if you're taking notes, write this down. I hope this is helping somebody. Pray positionally. Pray positionally, know your place, and this is crucial, and I just felt the spirit on this so much. Let me, look, what do I mean? Look at this. Jesus stres- stresses our approach to God that we get in the right position for our petition. Look what he says. Verse 6, when you pray, go back. Verse 6, when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your, say it. Father. Say it with some conviction. Father. Father. In private. Then your, say it. Father, Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered by merely repeating words again and again. Don't be like them for your... Oh, my goodness. Halifax, help me. Don't be like them for your... For your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our... Yes, our Father in heaven. Our Father, our Father, our Father. Holy is your name. He gives us kind of the two legs on which we stand and the first leg he accentuates, and he, say, he goes out of his way to establish this in our minds. He says it multiple times. You pray to your Father, your Father in heaven. You, you come to your Father. He's saying you approach God as a son. When we pray, we pray as confidently as sons. Confidently as sons in a healthy relationship with a good Father. When you come to God in prayer... You come as a son, as a daughter. You come like a child. This is why Jesus said, you know, unless you are like a child, you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. That you are supposed to apply the qualities of childlikeness as it comes to approaching God. So I was thinking, you know, I have three kids. My daughter's 11. My son, Aiden is 9. And I have a little guy who's, who's four. His name's Alex. And my older two are starting to mature, and they're starting to get out of some of their childlikeness. But my, my little guy is in peak childishness. Peak And I was thinking about how he approaches me and the the way that he thinks about me. I I got a couple things that might help you as you think about being a son or daughter of God. The first thing I was thinking about is this that my son, Alex, he has a basic assumption of my interest. He assumes my interest, not just my interest, but my understanding. I was watching back, I didn't, I didn't put it in my, in my thing, maybe I'll post it on my social media later this week, but I was watching back some old videos I'd record him when he was just like two, one and a half, two, where he always wanted to talk, he was a talker, but he didn't know English, and so he would literally just look at me as clear and as confidently and passionately just, <speaking in Spanish> that was not tongues for all you charismatics, I don't need an interpretation. He would just just as clear and he'd look at me like you feel me, right, Dad? You got this, right? Like he just assumed I understood. Not only that, but the thing I was thinking about now that he's older and he can't express himself, there is no detail of his life that he does not blindly assume that I am overwhelmingly interested in. (laughs) Everything. Like I'll pick him up from daycare, drive him home. Just last week, I'm driving him home. Like, hey buddy, how was your day? And he says, Good. I go, what'd you do? He goes, I had a nap we played outside, I ate chicken nuggets, I didn't eat my vegetables. Uh, and he goes, I, I got a little bit of poop on my underwear. <laughs> and he goes, my teacher said it's fine. And I'm like, oh, good, thanks for the details, pal. We'll, clean, we'll deal with that when we get home. The point is this. There is no detail, too big or too small, that my son cannot bring to me. There's no limits on what my interest level is. He just assumes I care about it. He assumes I want to hear what's on his heart. He assumes I want to hear what he colored and what he did. That's his assumption because he thinks I'm a good father, which I try to be. But I'm not a perfect father. But guess who is? God, your Father, He absolutely cares. And let me just confront the lie that hits us a lot of times. It hits me. This assumption that God doesn't care about some of these small little details. Like one one of the things that happens as God balloons in your mind, and He should. He's bigger than you think He is. But what can happen is the, the propensity to start to think that, well, He couldn't be concerned about the small things. He's got bigger things to deal with. Anybody ever thought that? Is there music playing? This has happened two weeks in a row. Can I have like five more minutes? All right, thanks. We talked about this. Anyway, not you, not you. I got 14 minutes and seven seconds. I'm going to use them all. All right. There's nothing that God doesn't care about. No details too small. What else? Let's look at it. You can come back in like 10 minutes Aaron. I'm seriously... I'll read a Tim Keller quote, and you can come back. (laughs) Number two, he, my son, is oblivious to the limits of my resource. He believes and is oblivious to the limits of it, and he, he assumes access to my resource. He believes that there are no limits to it, He has no problem in asking me for anything. He never thinks that any of the things that I own aren't his. In fact, all my kids think that. I've never heard any of my kids say, my dad's house. I've never heard them say, my dad's car. What do they say? That's my house. That's my car. And sometimes, actually, when they're being petty, I'll correct them and say, actually... You telling your brothers to get out of your room? That's my room. I just let you sleep there. That's my pink bed. And those are my jeans. I just don't fit in them. But my sons, my daughters—they they don't—they don't, they rightly assume that everything he has is mine. I have access to everything. I have fridge rights. My kids never ask. Can I look in the fridge? They'll ask, can you get me something to eat, which is code for I don't want to be bothered, so go find me something. But they never ask if they can have permission. They assume I'm going to feed them. They assume I'm going to take care of them. They know that if they come to me, they can ask me anything, and they know I would withhold no good thing. This is what Jesus is getting at. When you come to the Father, you come as a son or daughter, knowing that there are no limits to what he would do, that I have access, and there are no limits to his ability to provide. My little guy has no concept of the limits of my wealth. Zero. In his mind, I have every bit as amount of ability to buy him a chocolate bar as I do a bicycle. He'll ask me the exact same way. In his mind, it's just as easy for me to take him to Disney as it is to Sandspit. There's zero difference. Why? Because in his mind, my dad can do it. My dad's got it. My dad pays for everything. And he doesn't understand that his dad does have serious limits on what he's able to do financially or by way of resource. But Jesus is saying, just as the child comes to their father believing there's nothing that he wouldn't or couldn't do for him, how much more will your father in heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills not provide for you? He's saying, when you come to him, blindly assume his ability to provide for you. Here's the truth about God. There is nothing too big for him. You know what? There's nothing too big. It might be big in your mind, but you need to flush that whole thing out like and be like a child. I've never had my four-year-old come to me and be like, hey, Dad, look, I know we did that trip and things are probably tight. You had to repair the, the car, I know, you're, you know you're, probably, you're probably budgeting and you got, you got Love Week coming up. I know things are tight, but you think you could like spot me at 20? He never does that, right? Why? Because he's my son and he, and he comes to me and he asks me like a child. That's what we do. We come to him. We pray like sons, confident as sons. You know what I'm coming to believe and coming to realize? That the key to my whole life is learning to believe and behave like I really am a son of God. The key to my whole life is learning to believe and behave like I really am as child. And Jesus says, when you pray, you come to him as confidently as sons, but as reverently as servants. As reverently as servants. Look what he says. How did he start the Lord's Prayer? He said, first, the first step toward him is what? Sonship. Father in heaven. Then what's he say? He says, holy is your name. What is that? It's an act of worship. It's an act of surrender. If we had time, we could look at the whole concept of holy. In fact, we did it back in June. Holy is the word we use when there are no other words. Holy is the word for God because he's in his own category. He's high and higher and higher still. That's who he is. And so Jesus is saying, come to him as confidently as sons, but realize, do not step into his presence flippantly. We aren't entitled children. We don't come into him with a haughty attitude or arrogance. There's There's no room for that. We come as humble yet confident children, realizing this is God we're talking about. This is the Ancient of Days. This is the one who is outside of time, who's seated in the heavens, who, who's the earth is his footstool, like there are no limits to this God. He's the holy consuming fire. He's the one that you can't even see and live. And Jesus is saying, when you come to him, approach him as a son, and yet aware and in awe of his holiness. Not haughty, not arrogant, not spoiled, not entitled. Realize your father is a great God. So when you pray, Jesus says, "We pray fully as sons," and yet we engage this reality that we are servants, and He is holy. And so, some of you are probably already thinking, "Well, how then? What business? What business do I have to pray? Like what? Like I, I'm not. I just call myself His son, like." And I realize I'm not holy to be in His holy presence. Like one of, the, one of the revelations you should get when you start to really get a picture in your spirit of the real God is to realize how incompatible you are. You know there's that "Woe is me. I'm undone, for I've seen the Lord. And so some of you might be thinking, "Well, well what, what business do I have praying? Well, here's why you can pray as a son and yet as a holy. Servant, Here, Here's why. We pray in Jesus' name. You pray in Jesus' name. Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is the great high priest. And so when we pray, we talked about this a little bit last week, about how Jesus is the door. He's the, he's the very one who allows us to engage with God. You don't come and pray to God and stand in your own accomplishments. You don't stand in your abilities You don't stand in your track record. You stand in the identity of Christ. That's why you can pray and God will listen. That's why you can pray and heaven will move. Not because you're so great. Because you stand in the righteousness of Christ. You actually stand in that proclamation from God when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. When you stand in the identity of Christ and you pray in Jesus' name, you are standing in sonship. You're standing in holiness. So this is why the Hebrew writer says, so we boldly approach the throne of grace. Not because you deserve it. Not because you had a good week. It's because he's great and you stand in his identity. So here's the good news. Regardless of what you did or didn't do last week, when you stand in Christ, he hears you. Isn't that amazing? There is never a time if you pray in Jesus' name, if you come in the name of Jesus, there's never a time where you can't access him because your access is not based on your performance. It's based on his performance. That's such good news. So there's never a time you can't pray boldly. There's never a time you can't pray as confident as a son, realizing you can, you, you, you stand as a holy servant in the identity of the great high priest. That's that's really good news. We pray as confidently as sons. Praying in the name of Jesus is not just some cute way we end our prayers. Can I just help with, help us with that? I know we we, we get caught in... Wrote sort of repetitiveness in church and we can easily just say things and forget the meaning. It's possible to pray the Lord's Prayer and it just becomes some kind of thing we recite and not connect to it. We do that with Jesus' name all the time and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. That's not what it was ever meant to be. To pray in Jesus' name is about aligning ourselves with that reality. It's about standing in his identity. Tim Keller said it like this. Tim Keller said it like this. To pray in Jesus' name means to come to God in prayer, consciously trusting in Christ for our salvation and acceptance and not relying on our own credibility or record. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It's to come to him, not relying on our own credibility or effort. To pray in Jesus' name is essentially to reground our relationship with God in the saving work of Jesus over and over again. It also means to recognize your status as a child of God, regardless of your inner state. This is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. So every time you pray in Jesus' name, you are in faith saying, I know I am who you say I am. I know you'll do what you say you'll do. In Jesus' name, that's what you're doing. You pray in Jesus' name as confidently as sons, we pray not confident in our ability, confident in his ability. Not confident in our goodness, confident in his goodness. Not confident in our works, confident in his works. That's what it means to stand in Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. So we pray authentically. We pray intentionally. We pray positionally. Here's the last thought, and I'm going I'm to pray and wrap up, and, and we'll, be, we'll be done. I hope this activates you this week. When you pray, pray continually. Never stop. Never stop. Prayer is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing conversation. Prayer is not just something. Yes, you need a place and you need a time. But the mistake we make is leaving God in the secret place, not bringing the secret place with us. We actually have to go in the presence of God. Never stop praying. This is why over and over, if you look at the writings of Paul, Paul said in Romans 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. What's constant mean? Never stop. Never stop. Philippians 4, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, in everything by prayer. That means God is inviting you to pray about the little and the large, both. Ephesians 6, praying at all times with perseverance. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice, always pray without ceasing. Never stop. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Never stop praying. Make it a habit. Make a habit of prayer. That's what I'm hoping that happens over these next weeks for us. Is that we become creatures of prayer. And it becomes more automatic. Yes, we have to be diligent and intentional. But you can actually form a habit. We have thousands of habits we do, you know, unconsciously now. No one's thinking about breathing. It's a habit. You just do it. Actually, the research says it takes 66 days to form a habit. What would happen if we became habitual prayers in 66 days? I remember uh, hearing an interview with Billy Graham one time. And it was about, he was go- I think he was going on like Johnny Carson. And as he was heading there and he got, he got to the studio, they, they, the, one of the assistants came and said, like, Mr. Graham, uh, we, we have a room for you uh, to go and pray because we figured you'd want to pray before you, know, you go on the show. And he said, thanks, I don't need that. They're like, what? I go, you don't need it. Like, aren't you, like, supposed to be a person who needs to pray? Like, oh, yeah, I'm praying. I was praying on the way. I'll be praying right now. I'll pray through the show, and I'll be praying when I leave. I don't stop praying. It's part of my life. It's a habit. And here's what I'm convinced of. When habit becomes, when prayer becomes our habit, the impossible becomes our lifestyle. We'll start seeing God do amazing things. And that's my hope for us as a church. Like that we could be creatures of prayer. Like I I really believe we're just scratching the surface of what God can and will do in this region. But I'll tell you what, we can talk about revival all day long, but until we get down and contend for it and we become creatures of prayer, nothing's happening. We can dream about it or we can pray about it. We can be anxious about things or we can pray about it. We need to be creatures of prayer. Never stop praying. When prayer becomes our habit, impossibility becomes our lifestyle. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. And God, I pray today in Jesus' name, as a son, I ask right now, God, that you would deposit a new grace for us, a new desire for us to to want to pray, to be people of prayer, to realize that when we pray, things happen. When we pray, things change. So, Father, I pray for a new grace to pray, to just throw our whole lives at Jesus, God, through prayer. But God, I ask in Jesus' name for strategies, for for mental maps, for, for plans, for systems that are going to actually enable us to be people of prayer. So, Father, I pray for each each schedule here and in Halifax and in the West Side, God, or watching online. God, I pray you give us wisdom and discipline to be able to give you your rightful place. God, to be able to give you a time and a space. Lord, would you help us to pray? Teach us to pray, God, and we believe that when we do, things will change. We thank you for this invitation. Lord, I pray for the one here today who they realize they've been wearing masks. God, I, I pray today in Jesus' name that they would have just the courage and the grace to remove the mask and to come to you just as they are. So God, would authenticity rise, Lord? Intentionality rise, Lord? Would our our position in Christ rise in us and will we become creatures who never stop praying? In Jesus' name we ask and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.